You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee, and I'm joined by my good friend, Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, it's an off day, so, uh, you know, we always have to, I don't know if we scrounge for things to talk about on we off days. We never do, because we just talk um, and talk and talk. We just talked for 20 minutes trying to figure out what we were going to talk about. Yeah. We should have just hit record and started going. Should have record. Uh, but yeah, a couple of things, I think kind of came up in the last day or so that are um, pretty interesting. And um, I think we I tweeted out a uh, a Bucks MKE Madness uh, kind of bracket style, you know, March Madness style uh, bracket that uh, our friend uh, Twitter user at LookSanity uh, tweeted out today at us. And so I, I tweet, retweeted that on. I, think, I thought that was kind of fun. Um but and anyway, obviously we have a I guess a preview. We'll do a quick preview of the Bucks' first game on their road trip uh, in LA against the Clippers. Um, but maybe just a quick reaction. I don't know if we have a lot to say about it, but uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo was uh, a major part of the uh, I guess most popular episode of 60 Minutes in a decade. Uh, <laughs> perhaps perhaps not because of Giannis. No, we um, don't know that. We don't know for sure. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but Giannis was certainly the feel good part of uh, of that episode of 60 Minutes on Sunday, which, uh, you know, for those living under a rock, featured the Stormy Daniels uh, interview uh, about all sorts of uh, interesting things between Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump. Uh, so we won't get into that. But Giannis's uh, you know, kind of life story uh, was was done for on 60 Minutes, which obviously, you know, if anybody is not living in the U.S., uh, any of our Greek friends, international friends, um, that's a huge deal. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to think, is there a bigger deal you can get in the U.S. as far as, like, you know, a profile on a news show than 60 Minutes? And I'm not really sure there is. And um, I thought they did a great job. Steve Croft pronounced his last name Adetokumbo, so shout-out to Steve Croft <laughs> from 60 Minutes for that. And I thought overall um, it was a, a really great, kind of intro to who Giannis is and what he is about and his story and I thought you know for obviously for all of us who have been following him for years and uh, know all of this stuff already more or less uh, it was also very cool to see the treatment uh, you know even if it was a largely review yeah I mean I think I think the cool thing is that obviously there there was a 60 minutes profile feature whatever you, you want to call it on Giannis Dedekumbo like that's the cool thing. And to me, the feature was obviously very well done and there was some cool stuff in it, but like, it's not like there, I, I can't imagine if you are a Bucks fan, if you're a regular listener of lockdown Bucks, that you learned a whole lot, uh, in that interview, like not a whole lot of new information. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. That's, that's insane that he has a 60 minutes profile. I, I can't imagine 
it just in the world of sports in general, like you don't get 60 minutes profiles just for being a good basketball player. Like there's typically, if they're going to do a sports story on 60 minutes, like there's probably a scandal of some sort, like, okay, there was steroids or there was cheating or there was gambling or the mafia was involved in point. Like there's just not going to be like, this guy's good at basketball stories. Like that's not what 60 minutes spends its time on. And essentially that was what the Giannis story was, was this guy is good at basketball. And sure, like he obviously has a very fascinating life heading into it, and like how his journey to the NBA is obviously very interesting. But essentially, it was just like, hey, look at this guy that's like doing cool stuff in the NBA, and who also lived a, a fascinating life like beforehand. It, it's just crazy that that was something that got him a 60 minutes profile and um, obviously well-deserved as we all know his story um, at this point. But I, I just thought it, it was kind of crazy to see. And uh, you mentioned the stormy Daniels part of it. Like because of that, there was I, I, uh, an all time high of snarky tweets sent out um, about like, Oh, well I would, I think some people might have been watching for this, but then I got to hear this cool story about Giannis, like all this stuff. So um, he got mentioned by a ton of different people. I'm trying to think of all the different people. Really just this entire day, I've just seen in my timeline on Twitter, people retweeting stuff or liking tweets or whatever. And I'm getting to see all these people that have no affiliation with the NBA, um, no affiliation with sports and like nothing like just random people that watch 60 minutes for the stormy daniels story happened to keep it on and then got to hear about Giannis. Uh, i trying to think like chrissy teigen who has a whole bunch of followers on twitter like tweeted about it uh jim carrey i saw tweeted about it like, just up and down <laughs> just people out there tweeting about Giannis. so uh just another spot where um obviously throughout the profile you heard just how big of a deal he was uh for the bucks and their ticket sales and everything that they do and well no one else is getting 60 minutes features like as much as much as they might be good at basketball or play well like they're they're not getting those features that's that's only Giannis and just kind of an, another thing that he could do and a, I thought a really cool way to tell that story because I was I was interested to see all of the stuff that they would get because they were at Bucks practices forever like uh, all the 60 minutes people were in Milwaukee for, and obviously I, I can't imagine they stayed there the entire time, but anytime the team was in town, they were there for, I don't even know, two months. Like it, they were just there all the time. So um, obviously very thorough reporting and very well done. Yeah. I think maybe the most random uh, celebrity to tweet about Giannis, uh, Giannis's feature was uh, Bette Midler. What? Bette Midler oh, tweeting, tweeting about Giannis and like you know the discovery of Giannis because I don't think Bette Midler really had any idea necessarily who, who he was um, but yeah it's it's just a great story and I think you know again um, highlights sort of this intersection of obviously a tremendous player and a unique player the likes of which we haven't really seen um, and a life story that is is also just you know kind of I don't want to say you know one of a kind 
in the world. Obviously, you know, he's sort of the American dream, the Greek version of the American dream. Um, but certainly the, the, you know, a a great example and, and a very singular example of it in terms of the intersection of, you know, NBA basketball and, and that kind of story. And, and obviously I thought, um, Giannis came off the way Giannis was in the interview. It, it was true to sort of what we know Giannis to be like, yep. in terms of you know the drive, you know being <laughs> being very evident the drive, but also the sense of humor, um, you know the humility, um, the importance of family, you know the things that we kind of take for granted because we just have heard him talk about stuff so much. I mean, you've been standing in front of him shoving a microphone in his face for <laughs> you know I don't know however many times over the last few years. So. Um, you know, we sort of take it for granted, but it was cool to see it obviously in, in that forum. And I think, I mean, I think it was a 14 minute segment. I mean, this was, yeah. you know, these, these are really in-depth, um, looks at, at this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, I thought particularly interesting to, uh, you know, they went to Greece, uh, they were there with Thanasis, his older brother, uh, where they looked at, you know, the, the tiny gym where, you know, he was, he was discovered. They talked to Alex Harassis, his agent who, you know, kind of, made a number of kind of had a number of funny anecdotes about uh you know the the ymca equivalent of of the guys he was going up against um and and it was interesting and as you said maybe we didn't like learn a whole lot if you you know follow Giannis religiously like most of us do um but i think it was just fun to see the story told in in uh in you know i think a very true to Giannis sort of way which uh which was a lot of fun um i thought you know that and i think in in terms of um you know things that other things I thought interesting. John Henson, sort of the the star, uh, the the scene stealer. There's uh, never been of, like a le- less of a surprise. Of course, John Henson did. <laughs> like yeah, just cracking jokes and being very John Henson. Yeah, I don't think it was much of a contest as to whether I don't. I, I can't imagine Chris Middleton was clamoring to uh, do the interview as the like token <laughs> teammate of Giannis. But Henson obviously makes a lot of sense given how gregarious he is and how much you know. How personable he is, and also the fact that you know he's him and Chris have have both been here for the entirety of Giannis's NBA career, so they they have seen him you know from day one, right? And it was kind of funny to see some of the some of the stuff from day one. It always is interesting to see those shots of him, video from him from his rookie year, just because again, like I mean, the physical transformation is obviously pretty incredible. Um, I, I thought the you know one thing. Um, you know, it's it's too bad. And again, uh, you know, John Hammond and and the scouting staff is obviously a an important part of Giannis's story, obviously. And that was you know one part that was left out, obviously, because you know, I guess it just didn't really fit into the narrative. Like, oh, let's go talk to this guy who doesn't work for the Bucks anymore about drafting <laughs> drafting him. Um, so that part was maybe kind of a, a a blind spot a little bit, just in terms of like, you know, what did the Bucks see in him? Why did they take this chance? Because obviously, you know, when they show him in playing in this, you know, tiny league and on VHS, you know, great grainy VHS like tape. Uh, it's easy to wonder why the heck did the team even try to draft him. But, um, so that was maybe the one part that, that, that they, you know, maybe didn't capture. Um, but overall I thought it was, uh, you know, it was a very kind of true to life, um, view of that. Maybe it didn't have a lot other than Thanasis didn't have a lot about, you know, his younger brothers and his mom, um, and, and sort of that side of it. I mean, they talked about his, you know, his family. I think they had shots from, um, you know, inside his, his, uh, his apartment, things like that. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was great, deserved. And, um, you know, it was cool that it came out on a day where Giannis comes back from an injury and and helps the Bucks get a a very needed win against the Spurs. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, uh, 
the especially i think it the ham and stuff could have came up when it was like oh you go out to this gym and there's 40 seats here and 20 of them are filled up by nba scouts like the nba scout that was there for the milwaukee bucks like that could have that could have been it but i totally understand like you i'm sure that they cut a bunch of stuff to get it down to just 14 minutes with as long as that they they were around so um that i can understand that being on the on the cutting room floor so either way interesting stuff i and i know i saw some people tweet something like this but just kind of a crazy thing that 60 minutes had a dude walking through Milwaukee talking about how much he loved the city of Milwaukee. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a pretty rare thing. And there it was because Giannis is a great basketball player. And because uh, his story is so fascinating and just captivating. So um, just kind of a, just kind of a cool thing to see. Um, you mentioned the other thing. We can kind of go through it a little bit. Um, I think I might be a little bit more excited about it than you. Like <laughs> I was ready to like really break this thing down and, and get into it, uh, but that's fine. We don't we don't need to do that. But uh, you mentioned the bracket that we saw uh, and got to talking about it a little bit. And again, we probably should have just hit record so we didn't waste all the time that we had um, started talking about it. But that's okay. Um, it is still here anyways. It's at LookSanity on Twitter. Um, he tweeted out, anything you find interesting about the bracket that he created, it is an all-time Bucks uh, bracket and the one seeds, Kareem, Giannis, Sidney Moncrief, and Oscar Robertson. Um, anything that you found interesting there, Frank? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, like anytime you, you do something like this or you talk about Jersey retirement, things like that, I mean, it's always going to be highly debated, right? Because what is the criteria, you know? It, <laughs> it's you, clear, you, Frank, all-time bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and obviously seeing Giannis as a one seed, obviously, and, and we talked about this last year when we were talking about, you know, all-time team, that kind of stuff. Obviously, there's a that you know you're baking in a forward projection of Giannis uh, to some extent here. I mean, I think you know by the end of next year or the year after, I think Giannis will will likely actually be a one seed just because you know if you have three or four years of just all star starter level play, I mean, how many other Bucks have done that? Kareem and then you know Sydney, uh, Sydney, Marcus, like were at a very high level for maybe that period, but like it's not like anybody was like six straight years all time, you know, first yeah. team all NBA or something like that. Like those guys, um, were all stars a number of years, but, um, I think, you know, I think Sydney did five. I'm trying to think how many years in a row he had. Um, but he wasn't first team five no. years in a row. Not yeah. first team. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, five, and time, way, five time all NBA in a row. Yeah. 81, and, 86. And, yeah. And two time defensive player of the year, the first two DPOIs, which obviously is, you know, I, I mean, again, he's a guy that I, I don't understand how he's not in the hall of fame. It's crazy. Um, like every guy, everybody who's like, you know, coached a college team for more than 15 years seems to get into the basketball hall of fame. <laughs> um, but for some reason there's like great players like, you know, Sydney and, and Marcus for that matter. Somebody who, tweeted know, it out it. the other day that he's like one of, Oh man, I think one of five or six people that have five all NBA appearances and aren't in the hall of fame. And like yeah. the list is just tiny because yeah. I mean, dominating uh, i shouldn't say dominating the nba but being somewhat dominant like dominant enough to get 
five straight all NBA appearances, like that should that should I would assume that should get you into a Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. I understand you're looking at longevity, but shit, like longevity hasn't really been a thing until like the nineties. Yeah. And I so I think generally my my um my kind of thoughts when I when I saw the the bracket was I thought um Josh who did it, I thought he did a a really good job actually. Yeah. I mean I, again I'm not um I'm not as as well versed in you know guys from the seventies and eighties. Um so, you know, again, like I, I was trying to think because I've done this a few times where, you know, whether it was when I was writing for Brew Hoop um, or, or when we did the all 10 team stuff where I've, I've really tried to go back and look at well, who are the greatest players and by what metrics. And, you know, obviously there are different ways, you know, by, you know, how much do you value longevity versus uh, heights of a guy's peak and things like that. Um, but uh, but I thought he did a great job. I mean, I was trying to, like, find somebody who, like you know, should have been on somewhere on here that it wasn't. And, you know, the only guys I could think of were Moses Malone, who played only like one full season, That's averaged like 15 and nine, and then was played like 11 games the next season and was gone. Um, so, I mean, that one is like, oh, you know, that's probably not that big of a deal. Oh, he's um, on there. He's a, he's a 10 seed oh, he against Monroe. Bottom there right in the corner. There you go. Um, and then like Bob Boozer, who I thought played longer in Milwaukee, but apparently he only played he only played the championship season and then retired. Um, and so obviously, I mean, I think you can obviously nitpick and say like, well, Thon Maker shouldn't be on the list. And there, there's like you know, it, there's probably a little bit of recency bias, which which Josh admitted, you know, that 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 was probably the case. So yeah. you know, whatever. Um, I I joke that Thon Maker won a uh, play-in game against Roy Hibbert's expiring or, or his trade his trade <laughs> exception. Um, <laughs> Which unfortunately wasn't used, so that 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 if if, Troy, if Roy Hibbert's trade exception had been used, then <laughs> then maybe he would have he would have been in the 16th seed. But um, but yeah, I think overall, um, I think Kareem and Sydney are the only guy, the one seeds who are like unassailable. Yeah. Um, I think Giannis, you know, again, it's really just a matter of like, do you cut it off and say snapshot right now? Has he played long enough? You could argue maybe he doesn't, but I would also like, I mean, because I, when we when we looked at this, like. I mean, he's played almost five years now, and, you know, I mean, he's only had two all-star starter seasons, but, I mean, he was good in that, in that year, the third year, and he was a productive starter in his second year, too. So, you know, if you look at things like win shares, things like that, like, or value over plays, like, he's actually, I mean, gotten a lot, like, a lot, a lot of that, those sort of aggregate stats already. So, there, he's certainly not far from it, even if, you know, you could argue Terry Cummings, somebody like that might have been around longer as if you're looking at power forwards, things like that. But um, I think, you know, certainly I think Marcus and Ray Allen were the two guys who would have been my first picks to, um, you know, take Giannis and, and even Oscar's spot. And again, Oscar obviously won a championship. So that's that's special. Um, but, you know, again, he was still a very good player while he was in Milwaukee. But, you know, what did he play four years, I think, yeah. in Milwaukee his last four seasons? Um, he was still, you know, very good. Um, but again, it was not, you know, and, and again, they didn't need him to be the kind of, you know, 30 and 10 and 10 guy that he was early in his career. Um, but again, like, you know, he, he was not quite on that level. And so I think you could make certainly a case that um, just from a productivity standpoint and just, you know, because they played more years um, that that Marcus or, or Ray could have claimed a, a one seed there. But again, whatever, uh, not to diminish uh, Oscar or, or whatever, but um, but that's kind of some of the stuff I thought. And um, but overall, I thought, you know, Josh did a great job of kind of trying to bring some order to this. And, yeah, we can nitpick stuff till, you know, for, for the next five years if we want um but i thought in general it was it was great kind of captured i think pretty much all the names that that you'd expect and it was kind of fun to 
to look at some of the seeds that he kind of put down and you know kind of think around some of those uh some of those trade-offs the kareem region is stacked absolutely stacked uh Kareem is a one seed. Marcus is a two seed. Big Dog is a three seed. Ricky Pierce is a four seed. Um, I think if you put any of those guys as the two seed in Giannis's region, I think they probably end up coming out on top. And and again, you could probably say that for Bobby Dandridge, but Dandridge was more about longevity than being like the best dude out there. So it would be one of those kind of peak versus uh duration of the career kind of debates but i thought that one was stacked um i was trying to think through uh kind of the rest of it so i guess the the overriding thing i keep seeing is just kind of sadness that dudes didn't get to stay in milwaukee longer (laughs) You, you just keep going through the list and like oh yeah that guy would be on top and then you look and you're like oh he was only with the bucks for five years huh Okay, maybe he wouldn't win that matchup. And you just kind of end up having that thought over and over again. And I mean, it's just kind of it's kind of sad that the the Bucks didn't kind of get to have some of those uh career lifetime spanning guys cuz even in the 80s like Sydney was kind of robbed by the knee injuries that took out his career. Um, I mean, Marcus gets traded. Um, Terry Cummins was only there for like four or five years. Like there's just a a number of those guys where you didn't get to have like the full, full length, long con, like the, the just full, full on that dude's a buck for life. And um, like one of them is John McLaughlin and, like John McLaughlin's career ends up not being all that impressive. Like if you look at his points and kind of like the role that he played, but he's one of the few that was with the bucks for such a long time and just kind of, uh, stacked up numbers. So, um, I thought all of that was interesting. Um, Bango as a 15 seed, I thought was a nice touch. Um, <laughs> getting to go up against Bobby D Bobby D is obviously going to take him down, but you know, I think, I think Bango, you know, maybe throws in a couple, uh, I mean, backwards you got, over his head, half court shots, a couple, maybe a couple to, from to, half court, a couple dunks off the ladder, like, and the longevity bango has been around forever. Um, and, true. and you didn't even, and also there's multiple bangos. So does old school bango get to go out there with the new school bang? There's a lot of questions to ask. Um, but I thought, all where that does it, junior bango fit into this? <laughs> I what about all the air bangos? Do, do all of them get yeah, to take the floor? Cause if so, I don't know. I don't know if I like Bobby Dandridge's chances. Like I'll, I'll just say that, that. That might be that might be how we can lure our friend Jeremy Schmidt from Basketball back onto the podcast. To talk about the Bucks is if we have a discussion of the Air Bango blimp, because <laughs> uh, we know that that Jeremy uh, had some strong feelings about that. But I, I digress. Yeah, I thought it was. It, does anybody like if you were going to pick? You know, and again, like I was trying to think about this, like how we were going to think about it. Like, can we pick our final four or something like that? Um, but for the most part, it's like you know, you just. For the most part, you're going to pick one, one seeds. Like if Marcus had been a two seed in a different, in a regional other than Kareem's, I might have said, "Oh, I'm going to pick Marcus to to go through." Um, but Sydney, I think, is clearly the best in his regional. Yeah. Uh, Michael Red, uh, Ben Baker, Paul Pressy are the two, three, fours there. Um, Kareem obviously is kind of unassailable. Marcus, uh, Big Dog, Ricky Pierce, you mentioned are the two, three, four there. So sorry to those guys. Um, and then the young. Giannis region, it's it's Giannis followed by uh, Dandridge, Terry Cummings, and Sam Cassell. And Cassell's getting upset um, in the then, first round, Frank. He's getting upset yeah, by Lucius you, Allen. 
Yeah, and I, I asked Eric about this. That this was Eric's upset special, Lucius Allen over Sam Cassell, and I realized I really knew very little about Lucius Allen, so he gave me the background on Lucius going from a backup on the championship team to um, a pretty quality starter for for a number of years after uh, after or thereafter. They're pretty similar. Um, Lucius and Sam are, are very similar. Yeah. Um, Sam had a little yeah. bit more individual success, but Lucius obviously he's got a championship in '71 and another finals appearance in '74. So Lucius Allen's taking him out. Yeah, I would say I would probably take Ray Allen over Oscar in that regional. Yeah, um, I was leaning that way too. Just because, again, like Ray Allen had a longer, uh, a, a little bit longer um, career in Milwaukee. And, um, you know, again, Oscar was very good his first year in particular. But, um, you know, just from a statistical standpoint, it wasn't as good. And, again, I know you won a championship, but I, I kind of view it more as, you know, um, you know, again, if, if Ray Allen had played with with Kareem, uh, he probably would have, you know, come close to winning a championship or two as well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I thought I thought Ray uh, Ray was really interesting. Um, Giannis, I mean, whatever. I'm never going to pick against Giannis, but if we're looking at <laughs> if, we're, if we're looking at aggregate sort of, uh, you know, um, contributions, I mean, Terry Cummings mm-hmm. actually has a pretty good argument in that regional, the three spot. Um, so that was kind of interesting, but um, but yeah, I thought I. Other than Lucius Allen, anybody else jump out to you as being like very underrated um, from a seating standpoint? Like you're, uh, I guess, in the analogy of of a, of a bracket, like upset specials potentially that that you thought were interesting when you looked at this. Um, I think Brian Winters gives Oscar a run in the Elite Eight, or is that Sweet Sixteen? Whatever it is. Yeah, so Br- Winters Brian Winters is, is, a, five. is yeah. a five seed. Um, I just think. He had some really solid years. He was around the Bucks for a while, ultimately got traded. Um, some of those years were pretty impressive. Um, and I'm trying sick, to... Sick beard. Sick beard as well. Sick beard. Um, and I, I think he was, a part of, he was a part of those 80s teams at the start um, before he did get traded. So I think there'd be... You know, at least something interesting there uh, with Brian Winters. And then, yeah, Terry Cummins was a good one that you had mentioned. And as I was going through the rest of it, um, not not anything that I, I necessarily... I thought Paul Pressey and Elvin Robinson in that 4-5 matchup would be pretty interesting uh, in the bottom left-hand corner. And if either of those were the 2 or 3 seed, I think... I think I'd probably take Pressy over Red and Vin Baker, but Pressy would go up against Moncrief, and well, that that just wouldn't go well. Um, and then, yeah, like I said earlier, those Ricky Pierce and Glenn Robinson they got they got screwed up. Uh, that that's the group of death up there, uh, to borrow a soccer term. That that upper left hand corner, uh, that is definitely the group of death, and trying to think anything else i i think that's about it but i think it's a it's a super interesting idea um if people really want me to i can fill out the whole thing and people can see it um i don't know if that's something that interests people but i'd be willing to debate it if people want to um Uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a quick fact check uh first off albin robertson not robinson did i say Uh, robinson that's embarrassing i know i know you know that um i think alvin robertson what is he one of is he one of three or four players to record a quadruple double? Yeah. Uh, I know D- David Robinson did it because David Robinson was my favorite player at the time. He put up, I think it was 34, 10, 10, and 10 against the Pacers back in the day. And Ak- Akeem Olajuwon, I think it was in the late 80s, uh, did it. But Robertson, I think, is the only guy to do a quadruple double with steals. And I don't even know if he was on the Bucks at the time, but um, it was he's with kind the Spurs. of random. 
yeah, he was kind of a random, uh, a, a random statistical quirk there. Uh, also, Brian Winters actually uh, finished his career in Milwaukee. He played his first year with the Lakers and came over. Uh, I guess in the yeah, he was part of the Kareem trade and then played. Uh, what was it? Uh, nine seasons? No, not even that many. Um, but yeah. eight, eight seasons, eight seasons in Milwaukee, and then retired at the age of thirty. So he left the game pretty pretty early. Um, but yeah, he was actually, and it's interesting because I remember. You know, we have these debates about, especially in light of Marcus not being in, uh, not having his jersey number retired yet, which, I mean, especially with Marcus now coming back as an announcer, I mean, this is obviously just a matter of time. Like, I hope they're just waiting until next year uh, with the new building. Like, clearly Marcus is going to get his jersey retired. Like, it's such a no-brainer. Again, he's arguably, you know, you can make a case he's the, certainly has a good case for the fourth maybe even the third best buck of all time um you know again he was tremendous in his time in milwaukee uh left under not great circumstances you know certainly there had contentious times when he was here um but was a terrific player and they were obviously they had a lot of success while he was here as well um so that's only a matter of time that's going to be an awesome awesome ceremony with with marcus especially given that he's come back and he's such a great does such a great job um on the broadcast so looking forward to that um but uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny. I remember looking at the guys who do have their numbers retired, and the guys who always jumped out at me is like, really? Those guys have their numbers retired? Were um, Junior Bridgman, who again just like was never like a really top level player, but just it was a longevity thing, and you know he's a great guy, and obviously like I mean he's been maybe one of the most successful, yeah, I would say definitely one of the most successful post NBA yes. um, athletes in terms of his business career. So he's a great story. So I mean, nothing, not to take anything away from junior Bridgman, but you know, just in terms of like pure, like, you know, what does the data say? Questionable that he would have his jersey retired. Bob Lanier as well. Um, fun fact, one of my friends in, in elementary school was Rob Lanier, Bob Lanier's son. So I, I got a bunch of, uh, uh, free swag with some Zubas uh, nice. back 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 in back in the day, um, and uh, but he just didn't play here very long. And it was towards the end of his career as well. So oh, they I, were I just, they were Jersey retirement happy at that time. Yeah, like under under Fitzgerald before Cole bought it, they were retiring every Jersey. <laughs> and then uh, and then Winters was the other guy, just because I don't know I just like was like who the hell's Brian Winters? You know, he's a, I mean like. He looks like a guy who would have been like in a yacht rock band, not yeah. so much a you know like a famous basketball player. But you know, you look at his numbers: two-time All Star. I mean, he was um, certainly a guy who, uh, you know, he's also an interesting guy. I mean, he he played half his career without the three-point line, and the three-point line comes in. He was obviously a great shooter. Um, kind of one of those interesting like what-if guys because he shot thirty-six percent for his career. Didn't take very many just because nobody took a lot of threes. But it was it. You know, he's one of those guys that's interesting. Like. What would he have been like if there was a three-point line from the start of the '70s, and you know it was something that like people actually shot a lot of? Yep. You know what what would that have been like? Certainly, people always talk about Johnny Mac, but I don't know. If, I don't think Johnny Mac. No, he didn't play at all with three-point line. Um, so yeah, I mean he he was an interesting guy, and, and Winters also averaged almost five assists like for a whole bunch of years. So I mean yeah, he, was, he was a good he player. Was, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah, like I would put him ahead of you know certainly Lanier and and probably Bridgman just as far as like playing, um, but he's he's definitely a, an interesting guy and and I don't know he seems like you you kind of don't don't hear about him very much anymore but um, but yeah um, I thought it was an interesting exercise and um, you know I, I don't know people have been tweeting at me uh, since I tweeted out the picture you know like random why isn't this guy in or that guy uh, whatever i'm not i'm, I'm over it um uh, but uh <laughs> but it is a funny it is a fun exercise and again uh i think uh josh did a, an excellent job of of being pretty comprehensive and again i 
You know, like I, like I was saying, I can't really find good players that aren't in here. You yeah, know, there's I'm sure really there's somebody, but uh, but it's uh, it was a really good exercise. All right, uh, should we talk about Tuesday night, the beginning of this road trip? Yeah, um, Brian Winters underrated, like you said. Um, also, Bob Lanier, just there's no way his jersey should have been retired. Like I understand he's a Hall of Famer and was great, um, but just just no way he wasn't with the Bucks long enough and he wasn't good enough at that point in his career uh, for that to happen. If, if I can have one hot take, that might be it. So first game of the Bucks road trip, they are getting things underway against the Los Angeles Clippers. And uh, I mean, this is the team that the Bucks just played. Like, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't long ago at all um just a couple days ago and so march 21st so last week um they lose 127 120 um i think largely in a game that they they just kind of booted in the first quarter right like a 38 to 24 first quarter didn't come out to play um and from there they were trying to play catch up and just couldn't ever do it and ever get back in it to me that that was kind of the story of that game and i i don't know if much has changed with that clippers team they won 15 for 30 against the bucks from the three-point line austin rivers kind of killed them um which is a strange sentence to say um but the bucks got it close and then austin rivers hit a jab step three on chris middleton and that was pretty much the game. DeAndre Jordan, 25 points, 22 rebounds. All of, all of the things that the Bucks do poorly, they did poorly that night. They didn't come out in the first quarter. They gave up a huge game to a big dude, and they gave up a bunch of threes. So this is a good test. Like, as, as I mentioned last night, where with the Spurs, maybe they're not going to kill you in the pick and roll. Maybe they're not going to kill you from three. They're going to kill you down low, which they did. Um, but maybe some of those other things they're not going to do. The Clippers do all those things and this is a good test. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly, I mean, the fact that you've had to face not only this exact team a week ago, but then you also had to deal with a team that could throw out two big guys that can cause problems with, and obviously in different ways, but Aldridge and Gasol on Sunday. I mean, the bucks can't act like they're not prepared for this, right? Like, you know, you got plenty <laughs> of film. It's ever, it's on everybody's mind. Right. So, um, so again, we'll, we'll see kind of what they do, but, you know, one of the hard things with DeAndre is, I mean, the ball's not in his hands unless he's dunking it, basically. So, it, you know, you can't as easily, it's not like it's like, oh, let's let's just double DeAndre when he gets the ball. It's like, well, no, when DeAndre gets the ball, like, you want him shooting if he's yeah. getting it, like, not in the, in the you know, the, the dunker spot, right? Um, so he's, he's a guy who's difficult because obviously he's physically dominant. John Henson was completely overwhelmed, certainly in, in his minutes. And, you know, again, like, Don Maker's not going to have any better luck uh, when, when he comes in. And, and Montrez Harrell also is just sort of like a mini DeAndre in terms of, like, energy and, and strength and all that stuff. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a test. Like, all right, Bucks, like, you know, can you – scheme your way can you work harder and be smarter as players as well to to try and contain this guy because look deandre's good he averages 12 and 15 that's tremendous but um he's not that good you know like you no. literally allowed him to get 20 you know a, a, basically a season best game against you the other night and you know one thing that's interesting i mean you know and it comes up a lot obviously when we talk about like well why don't the bucks ever go small like how you know how do you do this 
and I think I mentioned it, you know, before when we talked about the Rockets, but the Rockets oftentimes play small, right? Clint Capella has been great for them, but Capella is not a guy who plays, you know, 37 minutes per game or something like that. Like they actually, you know, frequently will go very small with PJ Tucker, who's like six, six, uh, playing, playing center. And yet remarkably, they've been a good defensive rebounding team this year. And so you ask, well, how the heck do you defensive rebound when you're so small? Right. Um, and, I think one of the things that when you watch the Rockets, it's that guys are just aware of, you know, especially when you see them like they're playing with a, you know, against a traditional center. All these guys are aware that they're not just going to be able to just box out and just easily grab rebounds. And so, so many times, like you see, you know, two guys around the ball when, when there's a rebound. And instead of just like, again, just trying to jump up and catch it, like they're good at like, they'll just, Try and tap it to a different spot, you know, tap it to a teammate. Just try to do something short of just saying, like, oh, I'm just going to do a box out and just grab this rebound. Because against DeAndre, you're, sometimes you just can't do that. Like, he's going to, he's stronger than you. He can put you under the rim and he can jump higher than you. So, um, so again, like, I think it's important because, you know, I think, you know, we've heard kind of comments at times, you know, I think when, when it's been discussed of like, well, how do you get this team to defensive rebound better? And, you know, it's like, well, you, you know, some guys just, you know, do you just have a team that just can't do it? Like they just don't have the mindset. They're not hard enough working. They don't have the physical tools to do it. Um, you know, again, like the, the the Rockets roll out lots of lineups that are, you know, Chris Paul, James Harden, Luke Bahamute, Trevor Reza, and PJ Tucker, and they still rebound, right? None of those guys is taller than 6'8". None of those guys, you know, Tucker's a, a tough, strong guy but he's six six um and you know again they they get it done though because it's it's smart it's team-based and and they make it work so again i don't know what the, i have no like instant solution to this but um again i think it's it's also silly just like throwing the towel and say well you know because we don't have a center who weighs 280 pounds or you know because we didn't trade for deandre jordan therefore the bucks can't defensive rebound you know i just think you, you have to think about it from a more systemic kind of way and i think also the fact that the Bucks, you know, continue to overhelp and they're oftentimes running around the court frantically and out of position, all that stuff means that you're going to be less likely to grab a rebound, you know, because you're not in predictable spots and, you know, you're not under control um, and, you know, you're you're running to try to desperately close out on guys, whatever, you're out of the play. So anyway, I wasn't, that's the end of my soliloquy. I wasn't sure if you were going to do it, but you just, you just, I mean, you just hit on all the reasons why I am going to throw in the towel. Like, because the scheme ain't changing for, the, for this year, yeah. For this year, I think <laughs> you're throwing the towel. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that's to me. You just look at guys just not in a position, and and like you said, when you watch the Rockets, like they have small lineups, but they know how they're going to be able to rebound. They know what they're going to be able to do. While the Bucks are just trying to figure out how they're going to help off someone from the corner or how they're going to sprint at someone uh, to try to close out a three. Like there's, there's just too many systemic problems, but yeah, I totally agree. Like there's, there's no reason that the Bucks personnel, uh, it's the same thing that we say with the defense too, right? Like there's no reason that the Bucks personnel shouldn't be good defensively. There's also no reason why the Bucks personnel shouldn't be good from a defensive rebounding perspective either like that they can be just fine and you watch another other teams do it in a way that okay maybe your center isn't the best rebounder but your center takes care of business and keeps their center away from getting the ball and then 
Giannis comes and cleans it up or Chris Middleton does like plenty of teams do that where some of those smaller guys come in and it's gang rebounded and you get it done and uh, the Bucks just don't really have that set up so it'll be uh it'll be interesting to watch because like like I said at the start of this all of the things that the Bucks struggle with are things that the Clippers can make you look silly in so um it'll be a good test and uh, I mean I think it starts out uh I think it kind of sets the tone for this four game road trip like the the Bucks have some things to figure out and figure out who they're going to be and and what they're going to be about and they they do it right now uh you had mentioned I think you tweeted out like their strength of schedule and kind of how it all works out and obviously a west coast road trip isn't something that you want in your final uh nine games but you mentioned the strength of schedule like some of the good teams that they have are missing guys and and that could help out a little bit so uh as I said last week like there's there was a world with 14 games left where I could see them going four and ten there's a world I could see him going 10 and 4 and the most likely world is probably what 7 and 7 right that that feels about right so we'll we'll see what they can do and we will talk to you after that game for frank madden i'm eric name this has been lockdown bucks we'll talk to you tomorrow